Hey there, and welcome to the Oscars Death Face podcast, where we try to watch all the Oscar-nominated movies or die trying. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Happy April, everyone. No April Fool's this time, uh, but we're officially in the Oscars month now with 25 days to go. Um, I must be honest, I feel like I'm a little bit behind when it comes to the death race. Well, at the very least, you know, I do have a plan to catch everything. Uh, one of the films I was planning to watch ended up not being available and got pulled um, at the last minute. So I'll have to find it. I think it's coming back again later. Um, so I couldn't watch it for this episode. Um, and then I just, you know, frankly ran out of time to some degree, uh, you know, to watch another one. But that's on Netflix. Um, that said, the IFC Center just confirmed they will be doing a massive sorts program for all 15 nominated sorts, plus some extras via streaming. Uh, so it looks like I'll be able to do the race completely online and completely legally, which is a you know nice thing to be able to do and support cinema. Uh, it's just a matter of time, you know, a matter of me making the time to watch all of the Oscar nominees. Um, as my other podcast, you know, yet another anime podcast, I have a lot of watching to do in the next couple of weeks. The first episode of all the anime for the spring season, so it's going to be a lot of time in front of the screens for me. Um, you know, plus you know if you've tuned if you've been tuned into the Oscars Death Race community, you also know that there are some other films that I might want to be watching soon. Uh, if you tuned in this past Sunday, there was an announcement for the Academy of Death Racers that myself, as well as some other members, put together to help the mods uh, announce and present the nominees for custom categories that we've put together. Um, there are four branches. Uh, the creator branch create hostess, is hosting the biggest cow award, uh, the film that made the most uh, the best content uh, about that particular film. So it's more about the content and not about the film itself. Um, and it's called the biggest cow because as a content creator, it's what we milk for content. Um, the films here are all already Oscar nominated: the Borat sequel, Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, and Tenet. Um, the food and drink branch uh, has, of course, best food and drink scene. Uh, the nominees were another round's final scene and Minari's Mountain Dew scene from among the Oscar nominees. In addition, uh, there's also I'm Thinking of Ending Things Parents Dinner, Invisible Man's Worst Dinner Ever, and the Birds of Prey Egg Sandwich scene. From the indie brands, uh, they nominated films that only were not nominated for Oscar, so all of these are new to the death race um, for the two indie for the Oscars award. These include Dick Johnson is Dead, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, Never Really, Sometimes Always, Palm Springs, and The Assistant. And then the Animal Lovers Brands, you know, they nominated actors of the non-human variety for the Best Animal Performance Award. Burroughs the Rabbit, um, Farmageddon's Son the Seep, uh, My Octopus Teacher's Octopus, and Wolfwalker's Meb were all the Oscar nominees, and they were joined by The Cow from, of course, First Cow. Now, if I'm going to do my job as a member of the Academy of Death Racers and see all the films I plan on, go, I'm going to be voting on, um, I definitely have my work cut out for me. Now, before we get to the films I watched this week for the Death Race, I do have to apologize for you guys, to you guys. I was running behind last week, and like I said, completely forgot to go over the uh, winners of the Writers Guild Awards uh, as, that were two Sundays ago. So let's tackle that and see how it affects the races for those categories, as well as the Producers Guild Awards that happened last week. So, similar to the Oscars, the Writers Guild has, has two categories for feature films, one for original screenplays and one for adapted screenplays, each with five nominees. However, there were some differences between the Writers Guild and the Oscar nominees, uh, since the Writers Guild only accepts uh, manuscripts from those who are Guild members. So, from the original screenplay, four of the five are the same, Judas and the Black Messiah, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and Trial of Chicago 7. Lee Isaac Chung is not a member of the Writing Guild currently, so Minari was not eligible. Instead, Palm Swings took its place. 
And then over on the adapted screenplay side, both awards had nominated uh, the uh, Borat sequel, One Night in Miami, and The White Tiger. The Academy nominated Nomadland and The Father, while the Writers Guild nominated uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and News of the World. So on the original side of things, the winner ended up being Promising Young Woman uh, over Travis to Chicago 7, meaning that going into the final Oscars race, Promising Young Woman is probably the favorite to win that category, and what many consider a bit of an upset compared to what it was at the start of the award season. I mean, could you imagine Aaron Sorkin not winning a screenplay award? That's kind of a soccer. Meanwhile, over and adapted, uh, it's a little bit less of an impact here. Uh, you know, the WGA Awards, you know, had Borat ending up winning. But according to Gold Derby, the top two favorites for the Oscars are Nomadland and The Father, who, again, were both not nominated for the Writers Guild Awards. So the results of the race don't really indicate how those favorites, you know, Borat or The Fa- or Borat would do against uh, Nomadland and The Father in the head-to-head race. Uh, moving on to the Producers Guild Award. These are most analogous to Best Picture, and there are three categories here. Feature film, adapted, animated film, and documentary. Uh, for documentary, there were seven nominees, including two of the final Oscar nominees, My Octopus Teacher and Time. Uh, Octopus Teacher ended up taking the win, which I, I presume, I guess, might put it in, in the lead for that particular category. Interestingly, though, Time is still favored from Gold Derby to be the winner at the Oscars, so we'll see. For animated, the same five films were nominated between both the Oscars and the Producers Guild Awards with Pixar's Soul ended up taking the award here, solidifying its position as the frontrunner at the Oscars. And on the feature film side of things, there were ten nominees, seven of them being eight of seven of them being seven of the eight Oscar Best Picture nominees, excluding the father. Um, and they added in the Borat sequel, Marini's Black Bottom and One Night in Miami. Nomadland and I'm taking the award here. Again, further submitting its position as the front runner for the Best Picture race. Okay. All the precursor awards out of the way. Let's talk about what I actually watched this week. Uh, again, gonna be a bit fast. I only saw three films this week. Uh, the first film I saw was Quo Vadis Aida, uh, the submission of Bosnia and Herzegovina to the Best International Feature Film category. It premiered at the Venice International Film Festival and also at Toronto uh, before coming to Virtual Cinema on March 5th and VOD on March 15th. Uh, I was able to catch this at the Raphael Film Center via virtual screening. It tells the story of Aida, a translator of the United Nations during the height of the Bosnian War, um, as, the si- as her city, her hometown of Srebrenica. Srebrenica, I think, as announced, uh, is forced to be evacuated as the Bosnian Serb army breaks into the UN safe zone with little repercussion from the UN. Um, and then she and her family have to deal with the increasing hostilities uh, combined with uh, the Dutch UN's peacekeeping forces' inability to protect the citizens. It's based on historical events, including the genocide and massacre that took place at that city um, of over 8,000 men and boys. So not really spoilers per se, though admittedly I wasn't as familiar with the details of the war before this film. Uh, but you know, even if you kind of knew it wasn't going to end well, this film was still masterfully made with, you know, great tension throughout. Um, I really got to applaud the actress in particular who plays Ida. I'm not going to try to butcher her name. Uh, she does a really great job at sewing the multiple sides of her character, the desperation to save her husband and, and sons, uh, plus you know frustration at her UN employers at their inability to really do anything. Uh, one particular part I thought uh, that I appreciated was the portrayal of the Dutch UN forces um, as pretty much skinny kids in contrast, like, you know, the, the older, more jacked, you know, Serbian army men, um, you know, 
this virtual screening came with a Q&A from the director and she talked about it in the research for the film. She talked to veterans from the Dutch force and she realized, you know, there had been like some bad blood potentially between, you know, between uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina and, and the citizens and, and the Netherlands because, you know, they were resentful of the Netherlands letting it happen when really these were just kids like out of college the first time leaving the country for some of them. So um, I think that that portrayal was really great as well. Uh, this is the kind of film I think that seeks to tell a harrowing story of the horrors of war and of humanity's mistakes in the past uh, in the hope that, you know, at seeing this, people are moved to never do something like this again. Um, and, and, and for that, I appreciate this film. In fact, I would probably have this right now as my uh, second choice behind another round to win the, the, the Oscar. Uh, well done, masterfully crafted, but also really heavy, and I never want to watch this one again in a good way. Uh, the next film was Better Days, Hong Kong's submission for Best International Feature Film. Uh, it's directed by Derek Chang and stars Zhou Dongyu and Jackson Yi. Uh, it actually adapts a Chinese young adult novel, In His Youth and Her Beauty, by author Zhu Yuxi. Uh, this actually released back in 2019, though I guess the rules of International Feature Film make it still eligible. Now, notably, while director-director Chang is from uh, Hong Kong, its cast and production uh, were done in mainland China, so I'm really curious that it comes from Hong Kong. Uh, one other notable point that stood out to me in researching the film, it actually had originally planned to debut at the 2019 Berlin Film Festival before being pulled for unknown reasons, speculation being that uh, the Chinese government pulled it for due to negative depictions of the Chinese educational system and the bullying that took place. Eventually, it was approved to have a domestic release, albeit with a bit of a short notice, uh, for release in October of 2019, and ended up making 80 million US dollars in its opening weekend. I uh, made about two. 130 million total over its lifetime, being hugely popular over in China. Now, the film follows the story of a student, Chen Yan, who becomes the target of bullying from her school's Queen Bee, Wei Lai, after the Queen Bee and her you know, followers bully another girl uh, to the point of suicide. Uh, Chen Yan dreams of scoring high on the National Chinese a college entrance exam, which nine million students take all at once, uh, to to be a top to escape her life and go to a top tier university uh, and help her mom along the way. Um, side note: If you want a great international film about kind of like intense international take testing, check the Thai film Bad Genius. I think it's be on Netflix. Um, anyway, without getting into too many spoilers, she ends up meeting uh, and befriending small time punk Lu Beishan, who takes a liking to her, and see he ends up protecting her um, for. Very Various reasons. Now, I can see how why the jury selected this to be for best international feature. The production is pretty good. I would say above average, um, especially you know for for this kind of film. Um, and you know, there's a, there is a good social message about you know anti-bullying, right? Um, if you're not aware about the craziness of the test-taking te test culture in Asia and in China specifically, again, this test is one taken by. All graduating seniors for you know nine mil all nine million of them at the same time, um, you know it's fascinating really to read about it. Like there, I remember there there was an article I read about Saitans and uh, about parents who protested because of stricter anti-cheating guidelines uh, because you know it's kind of expected everyone cheats to try to you know get ahead. Uh, anyway. Again, I find it fascinating, um, and I'm sure the people who watch this film might have in some way as well. Um, you know, that being said, right? Uh, I kind of found this film 
kind of basic. Maybe it's because my wife watches a lot of melodramatic Korean dramas that have a lot of the same plot beats. Um, maybe it's because, again, the educational system is something I'm already familiar with to some degree. Um, so, you know, I thought it was fine. Not bad, but it, again, it reminded me a lot of, you know, other shows that I've seen before. Um, and maybe I was a bit soured by the ending as well, to be honest. And again, again, no spoilers on what happens, you know, what the climax of the film is. Um, but, you know, after that climax, they kind of wrapped the film up with a, uh, so here's what happened to the characters after the camera stopped rolling, right? Kind of like an epilogue, um, which kind of feels a little bit lazy. Um, and then they followed it up with a PSA message, basically saying how bullying is wrong, right? And this is a film about anti-bullying. I mean, if you're going to lay it out in so direct words, maybe it was a translation thing, right, of the subtitles, it just... It just felt kind of like it undercut the actual artistry of the film in question. Um, and even worse, right, like, you know, the the icing of the cake is that in addition to saying bullying is wrong, they kind of went into like three or four slides about like, oh, this is what the Ministry of Education has done to combat bullying, which felt like a little bit of propaganda, to be honest. Um, and, and again, kind of undercut the film. So really awkward for me. I don't know. If you like slightly cheesy melodramas, you'll probably like this. Um, but again, I'm not going to take this one too seriously, frankly speaking. Uh, the final film that I watched this week was Pinocchio, uh, found on Amazon Prime. And by the way, Better Days was also on Amazon Prime. Now, this one was not nominated for Best International Film, but it still is international in that it comes from Italy. Now, the story of Pinocchio is nothing new. It's based on an 1883 children's story about a wooden puppet boy uh, who somehow can move without strings, uh, who goes on misadventures and wants to be a real boy. Um, apparently, it's one of the most translated stories of all time. If you've seen the Disney 19. 40 adaptation, you'll know what happens, and I don't really need to recap, right? There's the donkey ears, there's the cricket, there's the dance no strings, there's the fox, the cat, the blue fairy, and the whale, and all that, right? Um, however, you know, the nominations it did get um, were for best costume and best makeup and hairstyling. So more so a technical film than anything else. And, you know, the big selling point here is that most, if not all, the characters on this film uh, and they were kind of like, you know, weird, like, you know, the cat and the fox or humans were like cat and like features. Okay, that's like decent makeup. The real weird, crazy ones were like this talking tuna fish and then Jiminy, the equivalent of Jiminy Cricket, right? Like a hundred year old cricket. And, and of course, Pinocchio with his, you know, wooden face. Um, the big selling point here is that all of these characters were done not via CG, um, but through almost entirely prosthetics and practical effects, which I, I mean, you know, there's some CG and touch-up post-editing, but still. I've watched a few videos online about how they were able, that the makeup team was able to turn everyone in these characters. But specifically, right, the actor who plays Pinocchio, Federico Ilapi, is a 10-year-old actor. Um, and, you know, he, and he, they made it they, that he was able to act, you know, completely naturally. Um, and, and, you know, props to him for dealing with all of that makeup. And, you know, honestly, I kind of want this film to win in this category now, right? I know I said Marvanius and Hillbilly LG did a great job with their hair and makeup because you know they were relevant to the story and characterization and all that, but in an age and era where CG is kind of the go-to for this sort of thing, I mean, you know, Groot and Rocket Raccoon from Guardians of the Galaxy, as much as I love those characters, those are like basically CG characters, right? The fact that this film was done with so much love for these uh 
for practical effects is, you know, uh, and again, nothing against CG artists. They're amazing in their own right. And, you know, I'm sure, again, like I'm sure there's CG used here, but recognizing the craft and skill of practical effects is something I'm all about. Um, as, you know, I think, I believe that a, a blend of practical and CG effects will yield a better result than just doing pure CG. And so some of the characters, again, the Cricket and Tuna in particular, were a bit of a fever dream or perhaps a waking nightmare. Uh, but I just feel that adds to the eccentricity of the world. And frankly, you know, the story I had somewhat forgotten. Side note, I totally forgot how much of a brat Pinocchio is uh, in the original story. And you know, the whole thing felt like something out of, you know, Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland to some degree. As far as the costume nominations go, they were all right. You know, Pinocchio's is probably the one that stands out the most, but nothing as glamorous or amazing as, you know, Dozen Say Emma, uh, which is still my first choice for the category, but still worth nomination, I think. Uh, especially since, you know, costumes do play with makeup and all that. Uh, anyway, that's where I am currently with The Death Race. That's three more films since last time, so I'm currently at 24 out of 41 films for features and 25 out of 56 total. Um, I was hoping, again, to watch The Man Who Sold His Skin, but Raphael Film Center didn't have that um, available at the time. So it's coming back April 9th, so I still be able to get it there. And I could not get to The Life Ahead, uh, which is nominated for Best Song, but that's on Netflix, so I think I'll be able to get to that. Um, probably put it off till a later week. Now, this coming week, I'm hoping to try and make my way through the documentaries. Um, you'll notice for the international films here, I, again, in addition to not having time, uh, was saving Collective, the nomination from Romania, uh, which is also a documentary film. Um, so that's going to be on the docket for next week, as well as Crip Camp, My Octopus Teacher, Time, and The Mole Agent, as well as the five documentary sorts. And as I noted earlier, you know, that goes up for streaming on April 2nd um, for all 15 sorts from the IFC Center. Um, so I can't go to theaters yet, but I want to support my local cinemas and who knows maybe i'll try to catch some of the academy of death race films as well maybe a few others as well also right i i still uh the truffle hunters was not nominated at all and i i've heard that really good things about that one Anyway, before we go, one last thing to plug. I recently appeared on the Contra Zoom pod this week to give my thoughts on the Best Picture nominees and how likely I thought certain films might be to win their categories they were nominated for. Uh, specifically, I was talking about my three favorite films of the race so far, I think, Minari, Nomadland, and Sound of Metal. Link to that will be in the show notes. You should definitely give it a listen. Hear me ramble on like a madman with a tinfoil hat about my theory on exactly how Minari can still win Best Picture. You heard it here first, or I guess on Contra Zoom first. Uh, anyway, that wraps up this episode of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Let me know how your Death Race is going over on Twitter at OscarsDRaceCast or via email at OscarsDeathRacePodcast at gmail.com. Hey, let me know what you thought of Pinocchio and, it, and, and its crazy makeup. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the show or on your podcast shows of choice, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And if you can leave us a review there or on Podchasers.com or just share it with a movie-loving friend, uh, any of that is super helpful. If you want to directly financially contribute to the show, you can do so on Patreon linked in the show notes. Also linked there will be my Letterboxd account under the username NinjaBoy, boy with an I. Uh, also be sure to check out the Oscar Race and Oscar Death Race subreddits and the Oscar Death Race Discord as well as the community website. Uh, music for the show is provided by Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by NinjaBoy Media. That's it for this week. This has been Paulo of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Until next time, I'll be here trying to watch all the Oscar nominees or die trying. See you guys.